Chapter Three of the Complete Works of Bran, the Iconoclast, Volume One, by William Cowper Bran. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. Chapter Three, The Seven Vials of Wrath, a Worldwide War. Unless all signs fail, the world is on the eve of a war such as was never known in all the mighty cycles of human history. Lucky indeed will it be if the twentieth century is not born amid the shock of universal battle. Is our boasted civilization breaking down beneath its own ponderous weight, the rotting props and pillars unable to sustain the gilded roof? Are the prophecies of Scripture about to be fulfilled, the world rushing headlong to the final catastrophe? A murderous mania hath everywhere seized upon the minds of men. The pulse of the race is beating the reveille. The soul of the world is sounding, boots and saddles. Savagery is reasserting itself. The Christian nations are further than ever before from that age of gold, when the war-drum throbs no longer, and the battle-flags are furled, in the Parliament of Man, the Federation of the World. Peace? There is no peace. War is inevitable. The ostrich may avoid seeing the approach of the fierce Simoon by hiding his head in the sand, but cannot stay its onward march. The craze for slaughter, the lust for blood, is abroad in the land. The stars are evil, and Ate, ranging hot from hell, plants her burning feet on every brow. For years the brute passions of man have had no outlet. A prolonged peace hath become that good custom which doth corrupt the world. A new generation hath arisen in Europe and America, which knows naught of the horrors of war, but is intoxicated by its glory." its superfluous energy must find expression its pent-up passions are ready for explosion it is all aweary of these piping times of peace wildly eager for the glorious pomp and circumstance of war the bullets mad hiss and the crash of steel civilized man is but an educated savage sooner or later his natural ferocity will demand its pound of flesh I know not whether deity or devil be the author of war. All human advancement is born of strife. Only warlike nations march in the van of the world's progress. Prolonged peace has ever meant putrefaction. The civilizations of Greece and Rome were brightest when their blades were keenest. When the sword was sheathed, there followed social degradation and intellectual decay. When all Europe trembled at the haughty tread of her matchless infantry, Spain was empress in the realm of mind. The Elizabethan age in England was shaped by the sword. America's intellectual preeminence followed the long agony of the revolution, and blazed like a banner of glory in the wake of the civil war. The reign of terror gave forth flashes of true Promethean fire, the crash of steel in the Napoleonic War studded the heavens with stars. It required an eruption of warlike barbarians to awaken Italy from her lethargy. 
while Celt and Saxon struck sacred fire from the shields of the intrepid Caesars. The Israelites were humble and civilized slaves in Egypt, cowering beneath the lash and finding a sweet savor in the flesh-pots of the pharaohs. Thrust forth into the wilderness, they became the fiercest of all barbarians before giving us the Psalms of David and the Song of Solomon. They had to become conquering warriors, had to be heroicized before they could breed inspired poets. The age of blood offering has not yet passed. Is it possible that these awful rites are necessary to foster that spirit of self-sacrifice which marks the highest reach of humanity, to feed the golden lamp of love, to inculcate the virtue of valor? Can heroes be forged only with the hammer of Thor? Is genius the child of blood and tears? Are wars the tidal waves in the mighty social sea, ordained by the deity to prevent putrefaction? Was the phoenix of the ancients but an old civilization, enervated by luxury and corrupted by peace, that could only be purified of its foul dross and infused with new energy by fire? Was that poet inspired who declared that whatever is, is right? I do not know. The trend of events points to a war that will involve the world, will align the old against the new. I will be told the idea that Europe will combine against America is sheer madness. Is it even so? Has the time arrived when young men dream idle dreams and old men see lying visions? Scan the European press for six months past, and you will find such an event foreshadowed by the ablest editors and most distinguished diplomats. The probable necessity of such a coalition has been seriously discussed by various European cabinets. Great Britain is the pariah of nations, feared by most, detested by all. Continental Europe would gladly see her humbled in the very dust. Had war resulted from the Venezuelan complication, England would, in all probability, have been left without allies albeit the President's ultimatum was not relished by other transatlantic powers. Realizing his inability to cope with the giant of the Occident, the world's bully stopped blustering and began sniffling about his beloved cousin across the sea and the beatitude of arbitration. The American Congress passed resolutions of sympathy with the Cuban insurgents, and from so slight a spark the Spanish people took fire. Instead of acting as peacemakers, the official organs of most European governments proceeded to fan the flames, encouraged Spain to resent the fancied affront by assuring her that she would not lack powerful allies. There was no recognition by this government of Cuban independence, no recommendation that we wrest the island from the moribund nation that has so long misgoverned it but a semi-official expression of concern for men, striving to achieve their liberty, afforded Europe a pretext to get together and work off on a distant people that war spirit, so long suppressed at home, lest it disturb the balance of power. The British journals, which had warbled so sweetly anent their American cousins, 
and the indissoluble bond of anglo-saxon brotherhood when there was a fair prospect that john bull would have to toe the scratch alone at once forgot the blessed ties of consanguinity and assured the bombastic spaniard that he would have plenty of help should he decide to humble american impudence the press of france and germany discoursed in much the same manner while the diplomats of those countries agreed that europe would yet find it necessary to materially modify the monroe doctrine but the spaniard believing discretion to be the better part of valor had apologized for the acts of his undiapered babes and the excesses of his hungry beggars before his neighbors could stiffen his backbone with their ostentatious insolence the monroe doctrine literally interpreted is simply a warning to transatlantic powers to keep off the american grass an official notice that they will not be permitted to overrun and parcel out this continent regardless of human rights as they have done in asia and are doing in africa the doctrine is ridiculous in that it establishes a quasi-protectorate over a number of petty powers that have no valid excuse for existing still it works no injury to any european government not bent on international buccaneering uncle sam's promulgation of the monroe doctrine proves him a fool europe's frantic objection to it demonstrates that she is a knave the spanish incident served to show that the war spirit is rife throughout europe and that her mighty armaments cannot much longer be kept inactive it proved conclusively that europe is feverishly eager to set limits to the growing power of this government while such limitation is yet possible that she cannot view with composure the slightest inclination on the part of america to take a hand in the world's politics with wealth aggregating seventy-five billions and as many millions of warlike americans back of it the monroe doctrine becomes something more than an iridescent dream when such a nation decides upon a vigorous foreign policy the balance of power problem cannot be long confined to the european continent a fact which explains the pernicious activity of transatlantic governments during our late unpleasantness but all the danger of an international complication does not come from across the sea the war spirit is well nigh as rife in this country as at barcelona and cadiz the great mass of the american people would welcome a controversy with any country with or without good cause the glory of the young man is in his strength and uncle sam is young and strong he longs to grapple with his contemporaries to demonstrate his physical superiority he has a cypress shingle on either shoulder and is trailing his star-spangled cutaway down the plank turnpike while a few mugwumps like joseph fulitzer and apilon halicarnassus below and tearful miss nancys of the anglomaniacal school are protesting that this country wants peace congress that faithful mirror of public opinion if not always the repository of wisdom proves that it is eager for war
and just so sure as the cleveland interpretation of the monroe doctrine is insisted upon we are going to get it and that before babes now nursing wear beards and the doctrine as applied by the administration will not only be insisted upon but public opinion will force the hands of our public servants and compel them to push it further the fact that it is distasteful to our transatlantic brethren makes it ridiculously popular with a people determined to burn gunpowder aside from the epidemic of murder which seems to have girdled the globe the spirit of petty jealousy and assumed superiority with which americans are treated in many european countries has imbued this people with the idea that the quickest way to win the respect of their supercilious neighbors is to slaughter them uncle sam is in an ugly humor and will suffer no legitimate casus belli to be sidetracked by arbitration he is dead tired of having the european ants get on him of being harried by petty powers whom he knows full well he could wipe from the map of the world he is just a little inclined to do the roman empire act to take charge of this planet and run it in accordance with his own good pleasure some of these days he is going to drive his box-toed boot under john bull's coat-tails so far that the impudent old tub of tallow can taste leather all the rest of his life we may deplore this spirit of contention but to deny its existence were to write oneself down an irremediable ass it is in evidence everywhere from the american senate to the country clown to argue against the war spirit were like whistling in the teeth of a north wind you cannot alter a psychological condition with a made-to-order editorial it is urged that we should sing small as we are not prepared for war we are always prepared hercules did not need a krupp cannon he was capable of doing terrible execution with a club samson did not wait to forge a toledo blade he waltzed into his enemies with an old bone and scattered their shields of iron and helmets of brass to the four winds of heaven the mighty armaments of europe are costly trifles whenever america has been called to fight she has revolutionized the science of destruction it hath been said in time of peace prepare for war europe bankrupts itself to build steel cruisers and maintain gigantic standing armies america prepares by strengthening her bank account and developing her natural resources when the crisis comes she has the sinews of war and brains and industry quickly do the rest it was not necessary for gulliver to sleep in the land of the lilliputs with a gun at his side vast armies and costly fleets of battleships in time of peace are indication of conscious weakness the western giant goes unarmed but let the embattled world tread upon his coat-tails if it dares the american does not have to be educated to soldiership he's to the manner born those who can build are competent to destroy our civil war was fought by volunteers yet before nor since in all the struggles of mankind were such terrible engines of destruction launched upon land or sea never did so many bullets find their billets 
never did man set their breasts against the bayonet with such reckless abandon never were the seas incarnadined with such stubborn blood the charge of the six hundred was repeated a thousand times the pass of thermopylae was emulated by ploughboys the macedonian phalanx was as nothing to the rock of chigamauga the bridge of lodi was duplicated at every stream the spirit of the old guard animated raw recruits the retreat of the ten thousand became but a holiday excursion soldiers fought their guns below the water-line and went down with flying colors and ringing cheers we have been more than once dangerously near a rupture with european powers because of the ridiculous monroe doctrine which assumes for uncle sam a quasi-protectorate over a horde of latin american oligarchies masquerading as republics we have now been fairly warned that should such a catastrophe occur we would have to contend with more than one european power we must either recede from the position we have assumed or prepare to do battle for the very existence of this government such a war would draw all nations of the earth into the bloody vortex if russia held aloof from the anti-american coalition she would seize the opportunity to push her fortunes in the orient making a collision with the moslem inevitable at such a time the latter would be intent upon the extension of territory occupy western europe with an american war and the mohammedan would rise against their oppressors unfurl the sacred banner of the prophet and millions of murderous fanatics would erase the raids of goth and visigoth from the memory of mankind turkey jeered at even by spain flouted even by italy yet potentially the most powerful nation for evil upon the earth would spread as by magic over romania and austro-hungary and pour through the alpine passes like a torrent of fire upon germany and france back of the much-condemned sick man of the west whom combined christendom had failed to frighten are nearly two hundred million people scattered from the pillars of hercules to the yellow sea all eager to conquer the earth for islam they are warriors to a man their only fear is that they will not find death while battling with the infidel dog and be translated bodily to the realm of bliss within the memory of living men christian nations have turned their eyes with fear and trembling to the bosphorus islam is the political vesuvius of europe and is once again casting its lord light athwart the troubled sky for years the Muslim has been robbed without mercy and persecuted without remorse. The bayonet has been held at his throat while strangers reviled his religion. It is no part of his creed to love his enemies and pray for those who despitefully use him. The Koran does not adjure him to turn the other cheek to the smiter. He has nursed his wrath to keep it warm, and prayed for an opportunity to wreak barbaric vengeance upon his oppressors. When Christian Europe marches forth to do battle with America, she will need to wear armor upon her back as well as upon her breast, for while terror stalks before, hell will lurk behind. End of chapter 3 
the seven vials of wrath.